My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence. My goal is to explore the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. In addition to leadership, I like to discuss mental health, PTSD, and overcoming adversity. If you have a favorite episode, I would love to hear about it. Message me through social media or my website, and I will share some free tools to help you achieve your goals. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you haven't purchased your copy of my book, Fireproof, please grab a copy today. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Stacy Sherman. She is a corporate executive at LiveOps and an award-winning keynote speaker. She's an author and podcaster focused on doing customer experiences right as a brand differentiator. She's created a heart and science framework that accelerates loyalty, referrals, and revenue fueled by valued and empowered employees and customer service agents. I had the pleasure of being on on Stacy's show uh, a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, and uh, awesome conversation. I'm thrilled to have her on the show because we're going to dig into some really cool stuff. Um, and yeah, thank you so much, Stacy, for for allowing me to have this opportunity. Yeah, thank you for having me. I uh, really enjoyed our conversations and we come from such different backgrounds. So that makes it even more fun and insightful. Yeah. I, I like to get a sense of who I'm talking to whenever I do uh, an interview. I, I've got some idea, uh, but I like to dig a little deeper. Where were you born and raised and and who were some of your early influences? Yes. So I'm born, raised, married from New Jersey, and I have grown up in a community that I didn't appreciate as much growing up, but now I really do. And I, I spent a lot of time uh, figuring out what's my why growing up. Didn't really figure it out until later in life. Um, but that's okay. As long as you're thinking about it, you find it. And then you sometimes fall into it too, which is where my path has led uh, from growing up, studying marketing and sales, and then literally fell into customer experience, which is kind of a blend of it all. So life is planned and unplanned. Yeah. Do you have any siblings? I have halves, half brothers, sisters, and I have two kids that I guess you call young adults, not really kids, but I like to pretend that they're still needy of me in a small way. It's good to have independence, but I miss, I miss some of the stages. When, when you were growing up, um, what was, I'd like to explore that, uh, that statement that you made about trying to figure out your why, do you remember at, at what point in your life that that was actually something that you were conscious of that you actually, you actually like really were trying to figure out your why? Yes. I remember knowing myself, I'm definitely a communicator, a writer, a speaker, much more than calculus and 
math, the mathematicians that my family, my mom and family members are. And so back, back in the day, I used to write poetry. I still love writing. And I was trying to figure out what could I do with that? And it turned out to be just a hobby. And I never knew really what to do with it until maybe 10 years ago, I started a blog called Stacy's Notes. I didn't even know what I was doing. I was afraid of even the technology. I had no idea if anyone would read anything of my notes, but my notes were just a lot of information of my favorite things, my favorite technologies, because I love being organized and just sharing with the world what works for me. And I found that playing with blogging and writing, it it got me to where I am now because I made a lot of mistakes. I learned and then I found my niche where to focus. So you have to, you figure out your why by just doing things, poetry to a blog to where I am today. That's you fall into it, but you have to be purposeful too. Did you go to college right after high school? I did. Yes. I went to American university in DC. I learned more from being in DC than I did in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> I went for business marketing. And what's really fun about this story is that when I was in high school, I remember the moment that I knew I was going to go into marketing. And at that time, aging myself, there was no internet. So marketing definitely had a different meaning. But I remember I was in high school and I was in a marketing slash psychology, was studying consumer behaviors. And I remember we were focused on subliminal advertising and I fell in love with it. I was fascinated about how we think why we buy, why we do what we do. That was the pivotal moment, that class that ignited me to go to college for marketing. And later on, I went on for my master's degree, my MBA in marketing, which started to evolve even more because of technology and so forth. So that's why I say, if you're really thinking about your why and where you want to go or where you, you intentionally ask yourself, what do I love doing? And you just keep asking yourself when you're in a situation, it, it happens because you're aware. Did you continue on into your MBA? Like right after you got your bachelor's? No, I got my first job out of college at AT AT&T and I was there for many, many years And they made me an offer I couldn't refuse, which was to help me afford going to grad school. So I worked there first, and then I went part-time to to school. And a couple of things. One, grad school was amazing because I was really learning and applying what I was doing as opposed to undergrad. You're just getting a ton of information and you don't always use it. But in grad school, you're really putting to use what you're learning into the job. So by working and going to school, that was really very educational. 
But also, thank God I did it then because later on I had kids and there's no way I would have gone to grad school after that. I wouldn't have had the time and momentum. So I think the best advice is to work after schooling, get real experience, and then figure out your craft, figure out your education needs, and then figure out how to do both. I know that you spent some time in executive level positions in these different corporate uh, organizations. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the experience you received in those positions and how you've been able to apply that experience and what you're doing now? Oh, yeah. I learned, first of all, the biggest lesson at 22 years old, coming into AT&T, and I had a really big job. I don't even know how I got that job. Somebody noticed me, liked me, I don't know, but I definitely had imposter syndrome. I remember I got my fancy briefcase at coach and these wonderful suits and I would show up at work and 22 years old, I barely knew anything. And yet I had to fake it till I made it. And the workplace definitely educated me, gave me training, I remember when I went away to Sales University at AT AT&T, which was a huge education. And I learned on the job and just doing it and making mistakes and getting confidence from doing it. Like I said, I didn't really have a mentor. I barely had any mentors in my career. I had like maybe one or two, which is an opportunity for people listening, (laughs) be a mentor, get a mentor. Um, But I learned a lot from faking it till I made it. And over the years, I had so many wonderful learning experiences. And I also learned how not to be as a boss from poor leaders. So you learn from the best, you learn from the worst. That's the truth. <laughs> so how did how did you make this transition from executive to uh, customer experience um, entrepreneur? So first of all, getting to executive level took a lot of time and a lot of res- resilience and getting knocked down and getting back up. And in your world, I would say putting out a lot of fires, uh, (laughs) political fires. I, so sales and marketing going on in my career back and forth. And then I was at Verizon, funny AT&T is where I started my career. I left telecom for many years and then went to Verizon in 2013. And I remember my boss at the time said to me, you know, there's this big thing happening, CX. I'm like, what is that? He's like, customer experience, leveraging voice of customer, VOC, all these fancy terms. He's like, but I don't really know. Go figure it out. Well, there I did. I went to go figure it out. And so 
I ended up in three different roles in the CX customer experience space. So one was optimizing a website, Verizon.com, where 40 million visitors would come and making it an easier experience for them to find, for visitors to find what they're looking for, to actually add to cart and pay online as simple as possible. And it took a lot of improvements and optimization to do that. So CX within a e-commerce channel and then retail channel as well, omni-channel. Then I was in a CX role in new product development where new products are being created, but instead of just creating, investing and throw it out to the world to buy, you bring the customer to the table as you're building a product or service. And it's that agile process with feedback. Brilliant, right? I mean, (laughs) sounds so basic, but not all companies do that. So I learned how CX fits within the customer, within new product development. And then I ended up in a role at Schindler Elevator Corporation where CX was about changing a culture, a traditional engineering company, an elevator company into a customer-centric organization and really working with the sales force to enable that. So a lot of different roles within the CX field. And so I kept building that momentum. And I said, I figured out I love this because what I'm really doing and people like me in the profession, we are removing frustration. We are making better experiences for consumers, which you and I are, and it's fueled by employees and agents and interns and contractors. So you're improving lives in essence. And I knew then that's what's for me. That's what I'm all about. And that's why also, since I'm five years old, I wear a heart jewelry. Literally, I'm a fanatic about hearts. And I never could figure out why am I in love with that symbol? This is why. One of the things that you mentioned was culture, uh, changing culture, changing the culture of an organization. You know, and when you, when you speak of you know, this engineering firm, you know, a traditional engineering uh, culture and an elevator company, you had to change the culture. Where did you start with that? Well, let me reiterate that culture cannot be done by one person or one department. It absolutely requires top down and bottom up and it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen automatically. So it's important people realize that and you need to create an intention and rally people around the big idea and it takes a while. But when you get yourself with people who really care and are motivated magic happens. Anything can happen. Can you talk a little bit about live ops and, and what you do there? Yes. Live ops is a company 
that brands, enterprise companies will outsource customer service and business processing functions to when they don't want to build it in-house or they have, let's say, a call center in-house, a contact center in-house, but they want to augment and need help to fulfill a need of, let's say, retail season, holiday, can't handle all the calls that come in. So a big retailer, for example, would outsource that function. And so we, LiveOps, are a solution. We provide virtual talent. Virtual flex is really what we're about, where we have thousands of independent contractors all in the United States who live, literally deliver customer excellence for those clients. In my role, I get to help ensure that the agents feel valued, they have what they need to do their job, and work with internal teams to onboard, to certify them for that, being sure they're educated and prepared to serve those different clients that we have, and build that community where they can ask questions and get support. We also, I'm helping with marketing, leading our marketing activities so that what we do and educate and teach and thought leadership around how we improve lives and how we're making a difference. And then there's the employee experience. And so working with our internal teams also, we have a purpose committee focused on those, the client, the employee, the agent experiences and making it better for all. So it's a big job, but it doesn't feel like work when you love what you do. You're an award-winning keynote speaker, an author and podcaster. And I, I feel like you, you started off with the blogging, right? And then did that, evolve into you know your podcast or books how, how did that all evolve great question so started again doing it wrong years ago with stacy's notes just learned it was a playground then i learned a lot to be able to take it to the big league so then i started doing cx right and that was just truly articles I was writing to share my wisdom from being in the trenches, from being in the job and what I learned, not giving company trade secrets, of course, but what I learned, not just from reading a book, but real practical advice to people who want to get into the CX field, people who want to differentiate their brand in any role that they have at a company. So sharing what I learned. And then I found from the metrics and people calling me that they loved what I was sharing. So that gave me the momentum, the, the confidence to keep going. And eventually I got noticed from publications. So I started writing for Forbes, many, many articles and other publications, which then led me to podcasts where I was a guest like this on over 50 shows. And last year, I thought to myself during the pandemic, 
Well, I've been a guest on so many shows. Let me be the host of the party, not always the guest. So, so anyway, I found that um, everything builds momentum. Everything happens because you were in one place. You had to be in point A to get to B to C. And that's really how my life has gone. How did the books come about? You're, you co-authored two books, is that correct? I did, yes. Again, it was just a matter of getting noticed. What's key for your listeners is when I say get noticed, it's about authenticity. It is not going out in the world and selling. It is not going out in the world and saying, look at me, I'm the best. It's about providing value. And when you do that and people see it as sincere, they want to get to know you. That's how it happens. Never through selling or hard promotion. Thought leadership is the way. So it's important people realize that because every step of the way has been organic has been slow and steady and it's about giving value to others because it always comes back some way. Can you talk a little bit about the heart and science? You have heart and science trademarked, but this heart and science framework and, and how you use that today um, when you're working with customers. And I've got, couple more questions related to that, but you might actually answer them uh, when you answer this. So. so heart and science means when you are looking at a business, what are the things that you can do to improve people's lives and people make up of many different roles and personas and work functions and customers. What can you do to improve lives? And that's, there's a lot, and that speaks to the heart. And then what can you do to actually bring the data and the technology, the non-human to be, make better business decisions. And so I look at a business in totality and that's really how the tactical approaches speak to both because one without the other doesn't work. When you first start working with a company to, you know, address their culture and uh, start working with them on improving their customer experience, the, um, the employee experience, when they, they start to engage the employees more to create a better customer experience. What have you found is pretty common out there that organizations need to address? Um, and maybe talk about one of the biggest lessons that you've learned through doing this. Biggest lesson is that people don't understand how they have a CX job when it's not in their title. 
one of the things I do in every role, every company I go to, I literally go around the company and say, you have a CX job. You have a CX job. I'm like, no, finance will say, no, I don't. I don't have a CX job. I'm not on the front line. And I say, oh, yes, you do. Because if clients can't pay their bill and the billing and the payment process is so difficult, clients will get frustrated and they'll leave. And sometimes they don't even tell you. So there's all these roles, even human resources, even IT, where they are enabling the front line and they are enabling clients to be able to do what they need to do. So that's the biggest lesson is to drive a company-centric culture, customer-centric culture. You have to engage and motivate and empower every single person, frontline, back office. That's where it starts. One of the things that I I noticed on your uh, on your website where there's a list of things that you specialize in, and, and one of them was persona development and journey mapping. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, we can spend hours on that. <laughs> but to slim it down, any size company whether it's a company, whether it's a fire department, whether it's a any size business, you have to walk in the customer's shoes. And what that means is, how is somebody who's the recipient of your service going to experience what you have to offer? You have to map that out. So in a business environment, how will people learn and become aware of your product or service? Is it through a Salesforce? Is it just a website or is it events? How will they learn? You have to map out how are the ways they'll learn? How are they going to buy? How are they going to get and set up their product? How are they going to pay their bill? How are they going to get help, which is customer service? Very important distinction there. And so there's a whole set of series of micro moments that people need to go through. And the holistic journey is what creates the perception of that brand. If one micro moment breaks, becomes frustrating, the entire journey fails. And so the concept of journey mapping is to literally design the experience, bring cross teams or key stakeholders to the table to design. And then here is the most important point. Validate what you designed with real users, consumers, buyers, to make sure that what you designed actually meets their needs from an outside-in perspective. It does no good just to take your work staff and design it and then be done. 
because then that's self-serving. And personas are really about understanding your target market, your target buyer, your target user, and mapping to that persona who typifies who, who your average consumer might be. That's at the highest level to explain. <laughs> when you're when you're measuring the effectiveness of this, and you know you have the the teams build out this customer experience, you know the the journey, they map it out and they create this experience that the um, consumer is going to have, and I, I would imagine that there's a way to measure that you know, measure the effectiveness of that, that map. And I'm, I'm interested in what data points do you typically look for to measure that? And how do you use the, the data once you have it? Yes, that's another hour we could spend. <laughs> <laughs> um, bottom line. There are a lot of metrics like one is very, very old application of it is net promoter score NPS. So you ask people, how likely are you going to recommend this product or service or company on a, and, and there's promoters and then there's detractors that come from that score. And then you can take action knowing that those that give you nines and tens, they're really, really happy. They're advocates. And seven and eights are on the fence. They're passives. And then below, six and below, they're detractors. They're unhappy. They're likely at risk. And so then you can go action upon those. There's also their satisfaction level, their sentiments that you can ask around, the feelings behind the experience. One of my favorites is effort score. How easy or difficult is it to get the help that you need? And so you take all of that information to dig into a score, but the why behind the score. And then What's very important that many brands fail to do is to close the loop, take that data, work it with your individual teams. And if you're a small company, then it might be another person, may not be teams, but you go action around what's the low hanging fruit. What did a customer say that was, that they're telling you is so difficult to, find something on your website or I gave you my credit card and it wouldn't go through. And I just abandoned my, my shopping cart or I couldn't find the 800 number or anywhere to get help from your company. There's a gazillion answers to this. So you got to know where are the pain points and then go action on them, fix them, and then tell clients what you did. Close the loop. Most of the time when, when I have a guest on, I'm typically talking about mental health or uh, leadership development, that sort of thing. And 
to to touch on leadership development you know you you worked your way up uh, you know holding executive positions and you know you were in leadership positions what are some of the lessons that you learned leading in these environments and maybe what were some of the mistakes that you made that helped you learn the most? Well, still learning, (laughs) never stop learning. I learned a few things. One, the importance of listening. Your teams, the individuals, are very different. So there's no cookie cutter approach to management. You have to really listen to your your team members and what they need to start. And, And ensure that they're working on projects that they enjoy. And it's not gonna always be perfect, but as long as the majority of what they're doing, they enjoy and they feel empowered and they feel sense of ownership, then the, then the team really can meld well. So that's important. Secondly, I've learned the art of, again, resilience and not giving up. People want to say no more than they want to say yes. And if you come at your, with your idea or suggestion with data, that absolutely helps your case. So I learned that over my career. It's not just Stacy's gut feeling that matters. It's my opinion, my experience backed by data that opens minds and wallets. And I also would emphasize that I learned that you have to prioritize. I get, often I'm like a kid in a candy store. I love so much. You can't do everything. And my old boss used to say, Stacy, you can't feed Africa. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? But I could try. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. And it, it stuck with me. And so I can feed uh, a good percentage, but I can't solve everything. And so prioritization is really important. The idea of another boss taught me crawl, walk, run. And I use that all the time, always quoting him. And it's true. You have to start small, build, build, do things now, put others in a soon and later bucket. Those are some of the examples. There's so many more. <laughs> do you feel like there's anything that we didn't touch on that we should before we go? I would say similar to what we talked about on my podcast and you, there's a lot of similarities in 
<laughs> the the public sector um, putting out fires as a metaphor, but also you putting out fires literally is a good reminder for people in business that nothing is equivalent to putting out real fires. And a lot of times we do sweat the small stuff. A lot of times we turn things into fires when they don't need to be. And just to keep life in perspective, um, but also not, but, and when you put out real fires, it takes a team, passionate team. And the same goes for in business. That fire won't go out by just one person. And same with improving experiences in the workplace. It's not one person's job. Everybody has to be there with that hose. So that's really my conclusion of what I've learned from you and how it relates to everything. Um, yeah. Well, for those listening, those that would like to learn more about you and what you do, maybe employ your services, have you come speak to their organization? Uh, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Through my website, doingcxright.com. And on there, you'll find my blog, my podcast, different speaking and resources, my contact form. And I'm also very involved on social media, uh, on LinkedIn the most through my name, Stacy Sherman, no Ian Stacy. And I have a day job, so my time is limited. Uh, but I do prioritize and pick and choose where is a good time to spend my time. And there's so much resources, whether it's through my writing and speaking or through mentoring as well. I do. So thank you. I appreciate being here and I want people doing customer experience, right? Which happens through people, humans, employees, agents. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Stacy, for coming on and, and sharing your, your wisdom and your experience with us. And, um, you know, doingcxright.com. Check it out. There is a lot of information on there. And uh, I'm sure regardless of your occupation, you'll find something of value on there. Uh, you know, there's so many things that are applicable with leadership development and doing customer experience right. There are so many parallels. So check it out. I'm certain you'll find some uh, awesome information on there. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review.